0: Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. And if that isn't enough, consider that if you make this a war, you have more to lose than Casper. Okay, but what a beating with. Jesus, Tom, the two of us have faced worse odds. Never without reason. It helps to have one. Conversations about collaboration, episode 58. Denise Browder pops by today. The head of Sway Workplace shares her thoughts on a number of interesting subjects. The future of work, the creator economy, Web3, the importance of incessantly asking why, and her five-lane theory of work. Let's get it on. Denise, where does this pod find you?
1: Hey there. I am uh coming to you from sunny New Jersey, about an hour outside New York City.
0: Garden State, baby, where I grew up.
1: The jurors.
0: Oh, Is that what the kids are calling it these days, the jurors? <laughs> That's
1: what the, the kids are calling it.
0: Okay, I've already learned something. It's not even eight o'clock. Um, you and I have talked about how there is no playbook for the future of work. And I find that interesting that the charter newsletter that I subscribe to more or less puts in their tagline, we are building a playbook. Hey, say what you want about the previous you know, pre-COVID world, about nine to five for the most part, butts and seats, you need to be present so your boss can work, work for you. Certainly wasn't optimal, but people were used to it. Um, I think, am I wrong, but are, some of the troubles that companies are having now is stemming from the fact that we're figuring this all out. We don't have a playbook, even if it isn't not a great one. Am I, am I crazy?
1: Yeah, you're, you're spot on. Um, I think the way that I like to think about it is, you know, the old world of work, traditional, was a series of structured routines and practices that was often like a policy. And the policy was implemented and lived through standardized kind of office-first norms, practice, and behaviors. But you know we're moving into this whole new way of working and being that's far more human-centric, and it must be for multiple reasons. But that's really not about policies as much as it's about guidelines. So in my mind, a lot of my research and publication of my work comes through the versions of, of playbooks. So it's almost like a sports analogy. I'm not a huge sports person, but I loved the concept of the playbook. Like, here are the plays that we can run. Here are the plays that we're going to run this month, this quarter. Let's iterate. Let's evolve our model to develop a more guidelines-based structure or routine that kind of drives performance for people in hybrid work.
0: All right. You just hit on one of my favorite topics. Um, a guy by the name of Dov Seidman, maybe 10 years ago, wrote a book called How. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I'm not. And the basic premise of the book was that, to your point, we need guidelines, we don't need rules. And one of the examples I like to give is that in my consulting days in the early 2000s, um, they issued a memo that you could no longer expense bottled water. And I'm going, what are you kidding me? Right? We're charging 175 bucks an hour minimum, sometimes a lot more than that. And I got a drink out of the tap. Well, why? Turns out that some clown used his per diem to buy cases of water, and they found out about it. And said, all right, well, because one person can break it, everyone has to suffer. I think a better way to approach it would have been, and this was what this guy writes about in the book, guidelines, right? So guideline number one, don't be an asshole, right? Which kind of covers things like that, which, you know, you don't need four cases of water to drink in a day, right? You didn't just walk off the surface of the sun.
1: Uh, Well, you've also, just to pull out that, you've hit on my number one rule. For everything I do, which is the no-asshole world. By the way, I think it's also a book.
0: It is, Bob um, Sutton, which I should read at some point. And I, I think <laughs> that book sold a lot in part because he had the audacity to drop the A-word when now it seems like every book at a bookstore has got the F-word in it.
1: Yeah, it, it, yeah. and if you listen to them I, I have younger children. If you listen to what they are exposed to in social media, cursing seems to be the, the the way to go. But so to pick up your earlier point there, a lot of my work, the origins of it, and you mentioned that book about how everything I ask starts with why the last three years, I've been asking the why of everything. And if you really ask why multiple times, you're going to get to the outer edges of the conversation and the roots of what really matters. So that's all I do all day long. Why? Why are we doing this? Why does this matter? What are you showing me?
0: I agree. <laughs> but I also argue as someone who said why quite a few times in his life as well, eventually you're going to piss somebody off. <laughs> right? Because this is the policy. Stop asking why right? Or we don't have time to debate this. It may not be. I can remember, again, many times in my career using deficient technology. Why are we doing this way? Right? Well, because so-and-so wants it. Why? 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 And then it sounds like you're talking about root cause analysis, in which case, I used to to teach this. You'd say, why? Oh, it's a technical issue. But you keep asking, oh, it turns out that the manager didn't believe in sending someone to training. So that person actually doesn't know how to do this. So it's really not a technical issue.
1: You know, there's been never been a better time for the for the word why than it is now. We are literally rewriting everything, the rules of work, how we see ourselves, how we're approaching work, what we want to get out of it. So unless we start asking that genuine question of why, we can't really understand the elements, the components, the build the systems that we need to drive performance in hybrid. So why is super important right now.
0: Wow, we can write a book about that one together. To your point, why do we need to go to an office, right? Why do we need to define ourselves by what we do, which if you look into some of the statistics behind the great resignation and burnout, I was just reading something on LinkedIn. A woman said, I've been successful my entire career, but after 20, I need a sabbatical. And Wall Street Journal just had an interesting piece on how not only are sabbaticals less stigmatized now, companies are in some cases proactively offering them because they don't want to lose Denise because she's a rock star, but she's been busting her ass for the last 10 years and has only taken a week of vacation.
1: And that's, you know, that has a lot to do with why I started the company of Sway. Uh, back in 2019, I came across the word, the future of work. I was, the phrase, like, what is this thing, the future of work? I was, in that was, like, future of what? So I took, I took an online course through edX, which is an online platform, MIT and Harvard's collaboration. We studied the history of work, the future of work, where we're going with everything. And I remember having almost like a light bulb moment. I felt like I got struck by a bolt of lightning. I was so rooted to the ground. I wanted to run outside onto the top of the hilltop and scream to everyone, the future of work is coming. The future of work is coming. We have to get ready for this. And in my mind, I'm like, we need to create a a platform that can convene the conversation for the everyday person to get ready. And in my mind, at that point, looking ahead, I was like, flexibility is coming. This concept of taking the sabbatical, it's all coming. It is happening and looking ahead I could see all an industry coming around, new hardware, software, brick and mortar configurations. In my mind back then, it had a lot to do with if we can get together and agree on those new norms, standards and behaviors of hybrid work, then we're gonna be able to simply walk through that doorway of the future of work and open up our minds to all the other changes that are coming. So yeah, so a sabbatical, that's just one feature that's normalized now, but back in 2018, You know, you were a piranha in the room for in conversation for suggestions of the things, how the world has changed in a short period of time.
0: You mentioned getting people to agree never been more difficult on so many levels, but we'll stick to work here Um, as someone who pays attention to what's going on. I know like you, I have seen companies come out and say, yes, they can work wherever or look, playtime's over, uh, butts in seats, Right, I mean, how do you foster that type of agreement, or can you can you even do that? Is it possible that some organizations are going to have to see some turnover at the executive level, never mind entry level, because old school Jim, to make up a name, just doesn't get it, right? And is going to be penalizing his team for having that flexibility, whereas another other managers won't. I mean, I, how how does everyone shake out from this and going back? I, I don't see it.
1: Now, I think the first thing we have to do is realize that we are in, change is not a flip the switch. there is an evolution to it. And the other thing is that I think we have to start looking at each other as what we are. We are all people. So a company is not a us first them. A company is a collection of people. And fundamentally at the root, we have a lot more in common that we have that, that that set us apart. So we have to have empathy towards each other and understand that people that are trying to make these decisions about where to chart the course of their company, have a lot at stake in the decisions that they're making. If we can look at each other with empathy and practice some degree of patience, we're going to get to the center point on consensus-based decision-making around this. So we've recently worked with a 200,000-person company, a 200-person company, and a 20-person company via the same methodology. We run our playbooks. That's what we do. We do one thing, we do it well. And so you can imagine this environment, how big these companies are, and in very different industries. The common denominator across all of them is that uncertainty is crushing. Uncertainty for people and for, it just people have a hard time, understandably, with it. What we also found is that there's kind of three conversations happening within all three of these companies. There's what leadership is saying at a media level that's kind of charting the course. The North Star is over here. We're moving more towards in person or moving more towards a virtual first world. The second layer of the conversation is at the managerial level. Could be a division level or could be down to the manager level. That is, how are these managers considering running their teams? And then the third conversation that's happening is, what do people want themselves? And oftentimes, that's a very mixed bag. Our experience on the ground is that not everybody wants to work virtual, virtual first. A lot of people want to be together with their team on a a repeating basis. So there's three conversations happening. There's a lot of uniformity on the same concerns, but there's It's time and it's patience and it's practice. A lot of listening, empathy-based trust amongst each other, and you can get to the root of the right decisions for your company. But it's going to take a little time.
0: Mm. Could you argue then that some of the tools like Slack or Microsoft Teams or Zoom can help shine a light on some of these issues? Because to your point, different levels may feel different things or different people within those levels, and then beliefs change. Because I completely agree with you. Say what you will about pre-COVID, but there was... You know, relative certainty. Now, there is so much uncertainty out there. Um, I don't think we're built for it. Or it would be uh, April Renee was on my show and she was talking about her book, Flux, and how we things are moving faster than ever. And today, they're as slow as they're ever going to be.
1: Yes. Yeah. You know, so from that, we like, uh, I have a futurist background as well. And it's so interesting. I'm a systems thinker and I'm a futures thinking. Future's thinking. So I combine those two in all the research that we do, um, and that is simply to say that well, future's think is interesting. We all have the ability to carve and shape our own future, but the real name of the game today is not necessarily the change that's happening all around us, but it's the rate of change. And there's a great futures organization that coined a term, a term called templosion, which is simply to say that we have these bigger, bigger, meaningful things happening in shorter and shorter amount of time. So totally agree with what that lady has said. She's 100 right. It is the rate of change is something that we have to be able to get comfortable with. I think right now in this evolution of the workplace is one of one of the five main lanes in the future of work highway. We're starting, we're cutting our teeth on the switch in workplace, but there's a whole lot of very meaningful change that's coming down that same pipe that's going to affect every person in the not too distant future. And that's actually where my greatest concern is, is how do we prepare the everyday person to deal with these change?
0: I want to unpack a lot of what you just said. I'll let you go first. So do you want to talk about the four lanes or do you want to expand upon what you just said? Because we could, we could go on for hours.
1: I know, I know. We could probably talk forever on this. But let me a bit framing of the conversation, the way that I think about the future of work is that if it was a highway, there would be five distinct lanes. I think the first lane is the workplace revolution, which is what we're talking about right now, which is moving from an in-office way of being to a hybrid way of being. The second lane is the employment revolution. And that speaks to the organizations and the entities out there that are moving people from being employed to open talent, which is a mature version of gig. That's a very different world. The third lane is the skills revolution. And for me, that is the massive disconnect that we have between the skills that the market offers and the skills the same market actually needs to thrive. I think the fourth lane is artificial intelligence and automation, which is going to automate and disrupt a lot of the way that we work today. And the, four, and the fifth one are DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, blockchain technology, tokenization, cryptocurrency. And that's a real massive change upon itself. So five lanes are five topics entirely interwoven, interrelated, but we are all on that highway. We are all speeding along on that to some destination. And we can make decisions today to figure out what the destination is.
0: I did not think that we'd be talking about Web3 today, but I'm game if you are. It's fascinating to me because I'm completely with you. Um, you might have to quote Liam Neeson from Taken a certain set of skills. He's Irish, right?
1: Love him. Love gotcha. Liam Neeson. Yes. Good.
0: Okay. I, I, I was going to either drop out Liam Neeson or Gabriel Byrne reference today. I just didn't decide which one, but Liam wins for today. Beautiful. Um, but um, I think about being able to, and there are all sorts of applications of it, but one particularly with, um, say, um, uh, contributing to code repositories. You could actually track if Phil wrote this library or contributed this code, how often it gets used. And that could very well determine the payout and not subjectively, such as a manager saying, well, I didn't think you had a great quarter, right? You could write smart contracts the way I understand it, such that you get paid 0.001 in certain name of token per use. So that could actually make it a lot more efficient and a lot more um, uh, automatic,
1: and that's exactly what's happening. I think that's a big shift in the future of work is really tying you know, the value you create, really being intrinsically motivated to have reap rewards on the other side. So tokenization is an interesting one. Again, I'm not an expert in any of these fields. I always like look at all of this and simplify it in the thinking so everyday people can get behind this idea and make it work for them. But tokenization, I mean, you're not even going to pay me in fiat currency. I'm going to receive a token, which is a claim on the greater value that's been created. So then I can either trade out of that, I can hold on to that, but I participate in the upside. And that for me has a lot to do with entrepreneurialism, meaning I gave up a corporate career 10 years ago to move to the startup world because I wanted to own my product and own my output and own all the potential upside to it. It's a risky thing. A stable paycheck would be wonderful, but I I hold greater value on the upside potential. For me, I'm always kind of chasing that value. And that's what tokenization represents. It's an opportunity to hold on to the value you create for the forward gain and momentum.
0: This stuff is fascinating to me. You probably heard, what was it, about six weeks ago when um, a DAO tried to buy a copy of the U.S. Constitution, and then it didn't happen. Some other person bought it, but evidently those tokens are going for a fortune because of what it represents.
1: That's exactly right. And look, a lot of this is still very early on in the process. And there are a lot of people that believe that cryptocurrencies aren't going to be around. It's not real. A lot of other people are betting their whole lives on it. So we're very early in the infancy of all of this. But it always goes back to me to really understand. Always you know, it's always about you. <laughs> it is always about me. It's exactly right. Actually, let's start this from the beginning. <laughs> How does it impact people? And why do we care? Go back to my why. Why do I care? Why does it matter to me? And how is it going to help or impact me and those around me? Um, It also goes back to my view. And I know your your main focus is on collaboration technologies is there is so much technology coming out right now around the hybrid world. What is the technology that really matters, that's really going to help people move forward in the future of work versus not? I think that's one area of interesting introspection.
0: I completely agree with you about ownership and about transparency and about a permanence, right? Because email isn't permanent, right? If you leave a company, your inbox goes poof. Whereas if you post it in Slack or uh, Microsoft Teams or whatever, yeah, you can delete it, you can archive it, whatever, but I see a real benefit of, and it's very blockchain-ish to use a technical term because I can see, and I remember getting a DocuSign agreement for a publishing deal It there's like a blockchain in the sense that so-and-so generated the contract, so-and-so received the contract, so-and-so opened the contract, so-and-so signed the contract, and it was countersigned, and you can't really alter that. Um, I I see these things as very disruptive for folks, and not just because you're using one application versus another, but because, and we saw this with um, Netflix, and I think with Apple on salary on Dave Chappelle. I mean, you excoriate the tools if you like, but people are going to find a way to talk about this, right? The genie's out of the bottle.
1: Yeah, the genie's the out of the bottle on a lot of topics. Um, so but speaking specifically about lane number one, workplace revolution, <clears throat> for me, it really is the most exciting thing. My whole thesis on that is that if we can adopt hybrid ways of working, at some point, drop hybrid and call it work, My theory on that is that's enough of a physical shift to break your own sense of inertia that it truly will allow you to open up your mind and look at the other four lanes and what that could possibly mean to you and how do we self-select into these worlds and prepare for them in a way that we're not displaced in the world of work, but actually works for us and role modeling for the younger generations behind us. So the shift into hybrid, however you choose to define it, is for me a major point of step one, which requires a lot of technologies to support that but it's also about remembering we're humans at the center of it all. And for me, that's where the fork in the road is.
0: I completely agree with you. I mean, I read early on in the pandemic when people were using virtual backgrounds for Zoom that, yeah, fine, they're cool, but why not let people into your home? That way they see that you are a person, right? And, And I think about the metaverse, which again, very early on, who knows how it plays out, but you're almost in a way making somebody less human. Yeah, it's cool that I can only get into a certain virtual club because I've got an NFT of whatever, right? A virtual ticket. On the other hand, and not to get off the subject, but I think about some of the horrible things that happen right now in whatever you want to call it, web two. And there's a New York Times article I was reading recently about this and how, well, there's no more reality at all. Nothing's mixed, right? This is purely a metaverse. So what's to stop someone from physically groping or from virtually groping you uh, or saying or doing horrible things to people in this metaverse and then it isn't even legal or illegal because it didn't happen in IRL, as the kids say.
1: You see that, And that's exactly why the infancy of it all, we're making decisions today. They're going to shape how this actually works because these the same bad actors and bad influences that existed in our physical world can exist probably in, in a more proliferated state in our virtual world. So even you know, when my kids got a, an Oculus for Christmas. Um, and I had, had so much fun playing her games with her and with some of her friends. It is such a real world. Mm-hmm. It is you are in such you really feel all your human emotions feel very similar in the virtual world as they do in the physical world. So that example, because I read that same Times article about bad actors in the metaverse and how they can like harm harm people. Same way, I mean, it, we're it's the same challenges. We're going to face the same challenges, but in a more uh, wild, wild west, if you will, because there's no guardrails around that. Hmm. There's no, gov- no governors around that. To be influenced and to be designed, but that's the patience of practice part of it.
0: Yeah. Getting back to your five lanes, I can see yeah. how on one hand, someone could say, all right, these are fundamental questions. If not now, when? Um, but I also can say... And I mean, this is the nicest possible way how you're not everyone's particular brand of vodka, because they may not want to ask fundamental questions, right? There are some people who say, look, yeah, doctor, I know I'm 50 pounds overweight. I just don't want to die before my daughter's wedding. Um, What can I do as as a Band-Aid, right? Well, all right, don't smoke or whatever. But fundamentally, you do need to make some big changes if you want to be around for the long term. Um, Am I off on that? Or are there some folks that either they or you say, yeah, you're not ready for what I have to offer yet?
1: You know, there's, those, those five lanes are very complicated. There's a lot in them, a lot of it. Like you mentioned, if the wiring is just being put in place. There's an advantage now to get ahead of that simply by being aware. Um, and that also goes back to even like the, the example I often use is, you know, we don't all have to be data scientists. We don't have to be trained what a data scientist does. But for sure, we all need to know what a data scientist is, what they do, and how their output impacts the work that I do. So there is a certain amount of literacy around these topics that I think is really important for people to get a hold of early on. doesn't mean you have to take a course. doesn't mean that you have to implement these things your day life. But at step one is very simply being aware of this. So AI fluency, digital fluency are simple concepts and things that we can start thinking about and develop a lens for how we see this new world. But that goes back to my point. I think that the workplace revolution, where we are right now, is a huge, huge starting point. Because to physically change and do this well, we have to change everything about our mindset. We have to open ourselves up in different ways. And for me, I'm like, that's great. The door cracked open. Now let's open it all the way and go into the other four lanes and start figuring it out as we go.
0: Oh, 100%. but, But I can see how if you are ahead of the curve, and maybe on a few things I have been, right, that... Makes some people uncomfortable, right? They're not comfortable with n- not knowing where and when you work, right? They're not comfortable using new tools. Um, and I, if I've I've said this before, if I could have one superpower as a consultant, it would be to know who in advance is going to be a pain in the ass, right? Because I have a perspective on things. I'm willing to listen. I'm not an expert on everything, but a few things that I know well and I believe will work. And I'm happy to listen to data, but fundamentally, you know, there's this massive opportunity to do things in a much better way. And I can think over my career, even before I really got involved in collaboration technologies more with enterprise technologies, some people would say, yeah, we're going to rip out this system but put in this one. But we're still going to make these changes. And I'm thinking, well, this isn't going to end well because you're not really unleashing the true power of this new system or you're modifying it in a way that makes it look like your old one. You're creating additional complexity, blah, blah, blah. And it turned out I was right, but people are only comfortable in some industries for a certain degree of change.
1: And that's so, when we started at the beginning, we were willing to push that boulder up the hill. We knew that our greatest problem on kind of normalizing flexibility and hybrid work was inertia. We are so used to doing something in one way. And when the whole world has been like that, it's really difficult. You know, change only exists in the fringes. It's not a real systematic change. But COVID was that ripped the bandaid off. That was the, we're doing it because we have no other choice. So that that forced intervention that has been this kind of remote work experience, I think has forced people into this idea of, wow, look at this. That wasn't so bad. Not comfortable, ugly and messy a lot of the way, but look what we did. Together, look can we figure this out. What other elements of change can we start thinking about? So perhaps from that, that's it could be a major silver lining to it.
0: Mm-hmm. I would agree. And if this were a two month, you know, recess from real work, and we all went back, that'd be one thing. But as I've said before, every day that we work remotely or in a hybrid way, it makes it that much harder to return to a pre-COVID mindset.
1: Well, you know, there is no way you can only go forward. You can't go back, even if it's a new. Oh, that to some people, but
0: that's a different discussion.
1: Yeah, so this is true. <laughs> this is true. But there is no going back because in physics, it just simply can't happen. You can't reverse time. You can only take what you've learned and move forward, make decisions around it. But there's only a forward momentum.
0: Or to your point, let's say you can find folks who are pining for the good old days. Are those going to be the folks that are embracing data science or AR, or some of the other lanes or technologies that you talked about? You know, Don't you want as a company people who are thinking about what's next as a thinking as opposed to thinking about how to get back to where we were?
1: Well, that's also a cultural shift. And I think that's one towards curiosity. So I think that one of our greatest uh, human abilities or capabilities is the instinct to be curious about things. I would argue that our educational system to some degree has kind of... Eliminate that or dampen that to some degree. But a key future of work skill is very simply to just remember who we are and remember our intuition and our instinct and our sense of curiosity. But that's also if you culturally as a company, you can institute that into your values and into your culture. But that also has to be a meeting of the minds in the middle. People have to be willing to pick up that book, listen to something new, to follow an instinct and a thought and see where it leads them. Curiosity is a huge advantage.
0: Have you always been so curious because it seems like you have a million things going on in your head at any given point? I, again, I did not think we'd be talking about Metaverse and Web3, Meta <laughs> but that's a good thing because, I, as I said, I, with regard to those topics, I don't know, I know more than I knew a year or two ago, and I still feel like I know nothing because it know, is uh, so dyna- it's so dynamic.
1: It is so dynamic. And unless you have, you can commit your whole day to like looking and understanding every dimension of Web3, are you ever going to really be in the know? From my point of view, um, as a systems thinker, I think, of everything, I think of everything as a system. Our work is a system, your computer, our bodies, we're all systems, systems are made of components, the components have relationships, the relationships change, and that's how we live our life. But looking forward, these five lanes for me, it's the same system. It's all explaining how our world of work is changing, all interrelated and all relevant to what it is that we're doing here. So yeah, lots of things happening in my mind, but for me, it's very orderly. Like, I, you know, it's a highway. I can see where these changes are coming. And I know we're going in a direction. I am just really interested right now in helping as many people as possible chart the course of where the destination is, just by developing fluency around these topics, these ideas, starting with the transition to hybrid work.
0: Mm. Good stuff. I'll get you out of here on this. What book? And I'm sure it's more than one, but give me a book that you are currently reading.
1: I am on my third read of Autobiography of a Yogi.
0: Okay. I haven't read that one. I'm going to assume if it's the third time that it doesn't suck.
1: It's a dense book. It takes me forever to read it, but it's it's a magical book. It's every time I read it, it's I'm I'm reading a different story, getting a lot of different aspects from it. It's very interesting.
0: Good stuff, Denise. Thanks for taking the time. I really enjoyed it. Take care. Thank you. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and and or subscribe. See you next time.